the Jerusalem Council, or what's often called the Jerusalem Council. It's that there is still this question about whether a non-Jew, a Gentile, can come to Christ. Can they? Can he? Can a non-Jew come to Christ? Who is? I mean, this is the God of the of the Jews and the Messiah of the Jews, and so can a Gentile, a, a non-Jew, come to Christ? And so they're still trying to figure this out. We don't give this this whole thought process a whole lot of 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 thinking today because we know Jesus saves anybody anybody but but they didn't know that they were still trying to sort this out this is still the, Jew, the god of the jews and the jewish messiah and now we have gentiles coming to christ and and coming to faith in christ and receiving the holy spirit and they got to figure this out and and as you can tell if you read your new testament this 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 problem kind of continues for a while. It's not settled here because Paul writes to the Galatian church about those who would say that they have to, to be circumcised before they can come to Christ and, and, and what he calls the Judaizers. And, and so um, this, this doesn't get settled here. But it's the first time that they're going to meet together. It's a big enough question that all of the apostles are going to meet together and try and figure this out. They're going to try and get an, an answer, a solution to this. Now, we're going to start in verse 6 today, but I want to bring up just the, the little bit of context. With verses 1 through 5, there's a couple of interesting things. First of all, there are those who say you have to become a Jew before you can become a Christian. So they want new believers to become, to be circumcised and to follow the law, and then they can come to Christ and, and be Christian. And, and so we see that in the first five verses here. There's another interesting thing, though, that, that I don't want to pass over, and that's in verse 5 of chapter 15. It talks about a, a, a group of Pharisees who have become Christians. Now, who are the last people you would expect to become Christians after reading the Gospels? The Pharisees, right? Who did Jesus have to confront over and over and over again? The Pharisees. So the, these Pharisees actually come to Christ. They actually become Christians. They're at this meeting. And that's interesting because, again, these are the last people you would expect. They were the, they were the religious upper crust, right? These guys are holy already, so why would they need a Savior? And that's precisely the problem, is they were so fixed on their own holiness, they didn't understand their need for Christ. They didn't understand their need for the Messiah, for Jesus. It's, it's easier for us. It's easier for the tax collectors and the sinners like us. Can I say that? Like us, we understand we need a Savior. But the really religious still today are, are some of the hardest to reach because they don't understand their need for a Savior. So that's, uh, that's kind of the context. So let's read Acts chapter 15, we're going to read verses, just verses 6 through 11. The apostles and the elders gathered to consider this matter. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers and sisters, you are aware that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the gospel message and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them, by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he also did 
to us. He made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Now then, why are you testing God by putting a yoke on the disciples' necks that neither our ancestors nor we have been able to bear? On the contrary, we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way they are. So there's, there's several points in there that I want to draw out. So, so we're just going to kind of work our way through some of these statements. The first one is, Peter talks about God's choice. God made a choice to send Peter to the Gentiles. Now, when we think of the ministry to the Gentiles, we think of Paul, right? We think Paul is the guy that went to the Gentiles. But remember, Peter's the first one. Back in Acts chapter 10, as we've been studying our way through, if you remember... The sheet comes down from heaven, and, and God says to Peter, don't call unclean what I have called clean. And so Peter goes to Cornelius' house and preaches, and Cornelius and his whole family come to Christ. And he watches as the Holy Spirit comes on them. So, so at this point, Peter is the one sent to the Gentiles. But what I want us to understand is that we are called as well. But God makes choices. God makes choices in what ministry you're going to be involved with, what ministry you're going to be in. We are all called to the gospel. We are all called to the gospel of Jesus Christ, but we are not all called to the same ministry. Each and every one of us have different uh, experiences, different skills, different abilities. I am convinced that the call on your life will be tied up with what breaks your heart and with the skills, abilities, and experiences God has given you. Here's what I mean by that. What, what breaks your heart, it, does it break your heart that children need to come to Christ? Does it break your heart that senior adults need to come to Christ? Does it break your heart that, that teenagers need to come to Christ, that college students need to come to Christ? That would be a call on your life. And, and your, that, that what breaks your heart, that people group, you will have the skills, abilities, and experience that God's given you to do the ministry there. So uh, this is, God still makes these choices. He still chooses all of us to, for the gospel. He chooses all of us for different ministries, different ways that the gospel is going to be spread. God still makes these same kind of choices. So then, the next thing I would, I would bring out of there is the Holy Spirit. He talks about the Holy Spirit. And, and we see here as another place, and, and really it's all the way through Acts, we see that the Holy Spirit is given when you come to Christ. That's what we see when you place your faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit comes. It is not something that is withheld from you until you are more spiritually mature in some way. It is given when you come to faith in Christ. That's what they saw with the Gentiles. It's what they saw with the Jews. It's what we see all the way through the book of Acts. So that uh, I just bring this out to bring the timing to your attention. Because there are those that say it's, it's a later gift or a second blessing. The pattern we see here is that the Holy Spirit is given when you come to faith in Christ. That's what we see here. And then one of my favorite statements here, it says, faith cleanses the hearts. 
Verse 9, cleansing their hearts by faith. What a great statement. Now, I've, I've mentioned this before, but we have, we have a different idea than the Hebrew and Greek idea of the heart. We think the heart is this seat of emotion, this place where love and hate comes from, where comfort comes from. The, the Greeks and the Hebrews understood that to be the belly. That was the gut. And I think they're probably more accurate because when you're upset, what hurts first? Your gut, right? <laughs> That's, they, 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 they were fairly simple in their thinking because we eat our emotions, right? Either you don't eat when you're upset or you eat too much when you're upset. We, our, our emotions really kind of run from our guts. We have what we call a gut reaction to two things. And so that's really the seed of emotions in, in the Greek and Hebrew mind. Their idea of the heart is the place where the virtues are. It's the center of the will. It's the center of the, of the principles, the moral decision-making. That's the, that's the place that the Greeks and the Hebrews see, say is the heart. And that's the place that we are told right here that faith in Christ cleanses. Now, I think that's great news. I think it's great news because each and every one of us have made an immoral decision. And each and every one of us have, have acted on that immoral decision. This is the place where, where we are cleansed. This is the place that is cleansed by faith in Christ. Notice, he's talking to these people who are saying, you, you must become a Jew first, and that means following the law and being circumcised and following the, the statutes and following the, the writings of the Pharisees. You have to do all of these things in order to be saved. And, and, and Peter is saying, no, it's faith. It isn't the law. It isn't the statutes. It isn't the, the, the being circumcised. It's faith. Faith is what cleanses the heart. Not the law, not religious activity, not, not all of the stuff of Judaism. Faith. Now, think about it again in this context. He's talking to mostly Jewish people who are, who are thinking that Gentiles really can't be saved because they're unclean, impure. That even a Gentile that came to Judaism could not go in the temple they had the court of the Gentiles for that. They still were not pure enough to approach God. Even if a Gentile became a Jew, he still couldn't approach God. Now Peter is saying those people that could not be made pure any way possible are made pure by Jesus Christ, by faith in Jesus Christ. Again, I think that's great news because that means that you and I, no matter how impure we have been, can be cleansed by our faith in Jesus Christ. And then he talks about the yoke that, that was put upon these people. And, <clears throat> and I think it's interesting, Peter, this is a great statement from Peter, because he, he says, look, you want to put all of this, the, the yoke of the law and the statutes and the Pharisee, the, the Pharisee writings and the rabbinical writings. You want to put all of this stuff on these new people and we've never been able to follow it. You want to put on, on these people stuff we can't even do. I just told you essentially that, that we're, we're made pure by faith, not by following all this stuff. So why would you pile this yoke of law and statutes and regulations and, and religious activity on these people who have been purified by God. 
Now, I think we have to be careful here, too, because it's pretty easy for us to think, well, now that they're Christian, they need to act like us, right? Brand new Christian, we expect Christian, uh, we, we expect them to act like Christians. And then we actually can expand that and think, well, the non-Christian should act like a Christian, too. We can't have those expectations. We can't put that yoke on them. The yoke of, of additional stuff, the yoke of how of, of behavioral stuff, all of those things are, are of no value. We need to make sure that we are, I, I've said this many times, but I'm going to say it again. We have allowed our Christianity to be defined by what we don't do. Why have we allowed that? Why isn't our Christianity defined by living, by living our faith and by living in the grace that saved us? That's how our Christianity should be defined. We've allowed, we've allowed it over time to be defined by what we, the things we don't do anymore because we came to Christ. Let's define it by living our faith. Let's define it by, by living the grace that, that has saved us, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that saved us, as it says here. And then the payoff. The payoff is that we are saved by grace. Verse 11. On the contrary, we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way that they are. We are saved by grace. I have some really bad news for you, perhaps. You are not saved because you're so awesome. You're not saved because God needs you to do something for him, because he needs your help. You are saved by the grace of God. Period. God has shown us grace. Jesus came and died in your place on that cross. He didn't die so sin could go to heaven. He didn't die for sin. He died for your sin. And he died for your sin so that you can be cleansed, so your heart can be purified by faith in Jesus Christ. So that you can have the Holy Spirit as a guide, as a comfort. So that you can live the life you were meant to live. Jesus purified us by the Holy Spirit and by our faith in him. We, no matter how impure you have been, you are pure now. No matter how unholy you have been, you are holy now. That's the grace of Jesus Christ. And it isn't because you're so awesome, and it isn't because God wants your help, and it isn't because you've done so many good things in your life that you've piled up enough stuff. It's because of the grace of Jesus Christ. What's grace? Grace is knowing you need something so badly, but there's no way you can get it, and it being given to you. That's grace. It's not just skipping the punishment for what you've done. It's being blessed beyond measure instead. That's grace. Great, we are saved by that grace. We are saved by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask that you bow your heads for a moment. Do you know that you are saved by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ? That it isn't about you, 
It's about him. It isn't about what you've done. It's about what he's done. You can today. You can know. It's as simple as a prayer. And it just, it, it just begins by acknowledging that we have sin in our life. God, I have sin in my life. I've said things wrong. I've done things wrong. I've thought things wrong. And I know the Bible calls that sin. But I trust that Jesus died in my place on that cross. And I ask you to forgive me because of his finished work on that cross. He paid the price in full. And I ask you to give me the Holy Spirit. Cleanse me. Purify me. And give me the Holy Spirit to live. If you prayed that prayer for the first time this morning, you need to let somebody know. Come and let me know. Oh, your neighbor, let them know. Maybe this morning you know Christ. But if you look back and, and, and think about it, your life has been, you have, you have defined your Christianity by the things you don't do. Will you make the commitment today to define your Christianity by living your faith and by living the grace that has saved you. Father, we thank you for this, your word. We thank you for your grace. We thank you that you have saved us, not because of who we are, but because of who you are. We ask, uh, Father, that you help us, that you remind us to live by faith, and by the grace that saved us. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.